Wonderful. Well, good morning. It's uh, a real joy to be with you today. Uh, I don't have an American accent, but I'm proud to be an American. And uh, I have a bit of a mix, born in Africa, raised in Australia, and now live in the great land of the United States. We come from Colorado, Denver, Colorado. My wife is from the U.S. She's Californian. And uh, yeah, exactly. Wish they all could be Californian. Someone sang that song, but I'll move on. Probably not a good place to share that, but uh, it really is a privilege to be with you, and we so appreciate the friendship we do have with you, and also just the partnership. We are grateful for partnership. It's scriptural, it's in the Bible, it's needed, it's necessary. It's not an optional extra for deluxe Christians, it's God's way, and we are so grateful for the real partnership that we carry with this church. So thank you for the opportunity that I have this morning, and I take it very seriously to to come into a context like this and to share the Word of God. I'm realizing more and more we have people in this room from every background, every group, every got all that different history, but God has put us together for such a time as this. And I wanna encourage you not to be offended by what I say. And the reason I'm saying that is because I never wrote the Bible. I'm simply reading it and whatever happens from there is up to how we respond. And I'm not giving you a clause here, I'm saying there's some challenge that the Word of God brings. Every time we read it, remember every time you open the Word of God, God opens His mouth. And it's essential that we keep going back to God's Word in times and seasons like we're in and like we've been through, that we go back to what God wants, not what we want, not what we've been taught, not the history we've had, and I'm not here to even judge the hearts of those who've taught us. I'm here to bring the Word of God as a mirror to me, but also as a lens to us, to say, what does God say about some of these subjects that many of us have wrestled through, many of us perhaps have put aside and say, we don't know about it, so we just don't need it. But God has brought us to a season where we need everything that God has for us. And to be the church He's called us to be, to function in what He intended for His church now and into the future, it requires us to keep coming back to His Word and making sure we're lining up with what God has to say. And so that's my intention this morning, to bring a simplicity to something of an insane subject and just to wanna bring it back and, and ask you please to listen to what God has to say about what God says, <laughs> rather than what some man is trying to challenge. I'm not here to challenge, I'm here to go be truth, uh, to, uh, focused and faithful to the King, but also to help the church keep walking in what it is God has for us. So I hope that's okay. I'm gonna ask you please to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. And while you're turning there, I wanna read a scripture just to give us a context of why and how I wanna share the subject with us this morning. Colossians chapter one, you go to Acts chapter one, because I know you guys take a while to get there, and I'm gonna, no, I'm joking, just, Colossians, I'm gonna read Colossians chapter one, and quickly it says this, Paul writes, and he says, for he, speaking of Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves rescued from, brought into. Some versions say we've been transferred from the kingdom of dominion, the darkness, and transferred into the kingdom of light. And I wanna just challenge us this morning, it's more important again and again to be reminded of what we've been saved into than what we've been saved out of. 
We all have been saved out of something. And if you are saved this morning, you've been rescued from something. But can I suggest more importantly and not talked about enough is we've been saved into something that is magnificent. It's the kingdom of God. This church has been handpicked by God with other churches in our nation and region and places to be a people that can reflect what it means to be kingdom people here on earth that we've been saved out of, rescued from, but brought into something. And the into something needs to reflect the king and be about his kingdom because we're part of the kingdom of God. And everything that can be shaken will be shaking except for the kingdom of God. And the shaking we're going through and have been, and it's been an interesting season for all of us. But let me tell you, in it all, God's shaking and anything that comes down is because it's not kingdom. And however you know, we wanna be all about kingdom, only kingdom, because that's the only thing, according to Hebrews 12, that will last is the kingdom of God. We've been rescued from and saved into, brought out of and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. Verse 14, it says, in, he, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Then it says, the son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities all things have been created through Him and for Him. Just so you know, it's all about Him. Verse 17, He is before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And He, speaking of Jesus, is the, uh, He is the head of the body, the church. And He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything, all things, everything, he might have supremacy, preeminence. He will have first place in everything. Not a place, not prominence, preeminence, first place in everything. I believe this crazy, crazy season we've been through and continue to go through, the church has had to pivot and adjust and has grown and expanded in perhaps unexpected yet irreversible ways. There's no going back. God's not about going back. God's about us going in and moving forward into what it is He has for us. And things have changed and things have shifted and I've hated a lot of the shifting, but there's some Good pivots the church has had to make. And, and I wanna highlight a couple, but I wanna speak specifically on one this morning that I feel is so essential for the church globally, but for Anthem Church going forward. Friends, what will you do with what God has to say about these truths that he's presented to us? Would you pivot, have you pivoted in a season and a time like this? The one pivot, the big pivot is that God has been, God has moved people, again, Jesus has moved from having a position to the position, first place in everything. And I wanna tell you, friends, when Jesus is not first place, the stuff we run with, the causes, the things that are in our hearts, which are essential. I look around this room, full house this morning, all different people carrying stuff in their hearts that they believe God's put them on this planet to fulfill. God causes, 
from heaven itself to reach people in this city and in this community. They're from God, but if those causes, dear friends, are not under Christ, rather if they're next to Christ, can I suggest this morning, they will every single time take the place of Christ. And when churches are cause-driven, Christians are cause-driven, they end up dividing and breaking down and tearing down and needing to be shaken rather than when we come under the Lordship and recognize this thing that I carry, this thing you carry together under Christ, that's what gives value and significance to the thing we carry in our hearts. So that thing, those things, the, the cry of our hearts, the calling of God must find its place under Christ, never next to Christ. And God's helped us to see we have our head back in place, right? And a, head, a body without a head is a corpse. We all know that. But when the head is in place, the body can function with life and function with His life flowing in us and through us as we go forward in what God has for us. See, I've said this, a correct view of Jesus will give us a correct view of everything else. And when we don't have that correct view, every other view is devalued or de, uh, it, it carries a limp or something that is off-putting because it's not under Christ. And so I wanna just again say, friend, this thing of Jesus is not an optional extra. We don't tag him on. We don't add him on. Easter's coming up. Let's talk about Jesus. No, Jesus is the central theme and focus of everything. And we gotta contend for a correct view of how Jesus is shown us through scripture rather than what we've been taught by our church or taught by our upbringing or what this culture is telling us we can say about Jesus. He's not Jesus of America, he's the Jesus of the Bible. And we've gotta come back to scripture and get that because that correct view of Jesus gives us a correct view of everything else. Another pivot quickly is that we've had to move from actually doing church to being the church. We were forced for a season not to allow to gather and what, say what you want about all that, but what it did force us to do is actually, are we the church when we gather or are we the church all the time? And gathering's essential, but it's not about a gathering, it's about being the church seven days a week rather than doing church on a Sunday and doing our life normal back to whatever we want Monday to Saturday. We are the church and God's forced us in a sense through this to pivot from doing church to being the church. Can, can I say this? Please forgive me to say this, but I have to. The one thing we need more than Christian books. You got quiet, look at that. More than Christian movies, more than Christian music, more than Christian media, more than a Christian president, more than Christian governments, more than Christian businesses, more than all that, we need something else. Christian Christians. And I know that's pretty, close. I don't know how else to explain it. We wanna have Christian all, but we just need to be more Christian. Christ-like, Christian of the Bible. Not some religion, not some teaching, not some truths and principles we hold to. Followers of Jesus that represent Jesus and are like Christ wherever we go rather than on a Sunday when it's the Lord's day. We've also had to move, pivot from method focus and all the methods we are about coming back to the mission. God's brought us back to His mission 
And I'm super delighted. Jesus is here. He came. He did what he did for a mission. We have a mission here on earth. This church has been given a call by God as a mission to reach people, followers of Jesus, the great commission, making followers of Jesus everywhere in this region and in the nation and in the nations of the world. And God has brought us back to mission is what's most important. I'm so grateful. But what I wanna speak about this morning is that he's moved us and pivoted us and pivoted his church from what we can do to what it is he wants to do and can do in and through us. Uh, Zechariah chapter four, verse six, which is a very well-known text and very well-known quoted, but it says this, God says this, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And what he's saying, it's not the might of your people. Americans, we think numbers and we think big and I love the bigness of America, but we think often, even in the church, it's based on the size of our church. When he's saying it's not the might of your people will never be enough. He said that, I told you, I'm just reading the Bible. Nor by power, and what he was saying, he's talking to Cyrus the king, it's not your position or authority as king that's gonna get the job done. It's not just because you're a believer. It's not the people, it's not your position, it's by my spirit. Not a spirit, not some spirit, my spirit says the Lord, if I can shoot from the hip this morning and say it seems that the church today in our great nation is more encaptivated and more dominated by the spirit of this age than it is by the spirit of Christ. Philip Yancey, he says a society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. And while that might be true in our nation, if we deny the supernatural, we always elevate the natural above the supernatural. And that's evident in our great nation. But the sad truth is, it's also evident in the church because it seems we, the church at times, deny the supernatural and begin to elevate gifts and songs and people and preachers and churches and we labeling all these ministries above the supernatural one being God himself. And I feel like there's a sense and a shift and we're all tired if we're honest about just filling our calendars with endless meetings and gatherings that require nothing from God. And now in fear and in trepidation and concern but Conviction, we are on our knees saying, lead us, Lord, in this season that we may represent you but also walk in what you've intended from the outset of the birthing of your church in the book of Acts. And while we don't all understand it, including me here this morning, this I know, we don't have a choice. We must come back to these truths and say, Lord, let us not put our gifts above the supernatural. Let people see Christ. Christ is enough, what Christ has done. But it's gonna be the Spirit playing a major role, friends, in who we are and what we're called to do going forward. See, I've said this, I believe the greatest threat to the Word of God, 
is not necessarily those who outright oppose it and disagree with it. There's a greater threat to the Word of God, and that is those who claim to believe it, but who are ignorant of what it really says. And I'm not hoping to step on your toes this morning, but I wonder, do we know what the Bible says? Not what have we been taught? Not what have we learned? Not what did our parents, I'm not questioning their heart. Not the denominations we've been part of or the church we've been part of. Not what do they say? What does the Bible actually say about this truth? Because I think we've got to come back to say, there's a lot of stuff we're not comfortable with. And when it comes to the supernatural stuff, people are freaked out and I understand it. I too am freaked out. But there's one thing we've got to understand. The Holy Spirit is not an optional extra for deluxe Christians. He's not a blessing from God. He is God. And if He was a blessing, with all due respect, we get to choose whether we want that blessing. But if he's God, well, then we have another whole different attitude of what will we do with God, the Holy Spirit? Many people say, well, yeah, there's Trinity thing. I don't understand it. I believe there is Trinity and I believe we are the triune God. And, and I, 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 I've, someone said this, if you try and explain the Trinity, you lose your mind. <laughs> but if you don't acknowledge the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. And so I don't want to speak about the Trinity this morning, but I do want to tell you that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And what God planned for us, Jesus purchased for us, and the Holy Spirit personalizes it in us. Jesus is in heaven right now, according to Scripture, Hebrews chapter one, seated at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. Jesus is not here on earth. He's in heaven, done his earthly mission, but he sent us the spirit to dwell in us. So we all, if you're a believer this morning, you have the Holy Spirit already in you. But the question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? How do you explain the Trinity? I don't know, but here's the best way. It's not three gods. It's one God. Three persons. Three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You see, I am a son, but I'm also a husband to Nicole, and I'm a father to my three sons. Same person, but I'm a son, I'm a father, and I'm a husband. And I do believe it's not good enough, but that's kind of the best I can throw. Steve will teach on the Trinity next week, all right? But, <laughs> but I, I really, I'm not trying to play here. And I wanna tell you, this is a serious subject. And I'll tell you why it's so serious. Let me read a statistic. And I'm not a statistic guy, but I began preaching this and, and I thought, I wonder if people read. And then I got the statistics sent to me after I preached. I thought, this is not in reaction. This is out of revelation that we need to hear this again. And this is the statistic. It's out of the Christian Post. September 2021, which is only a few months ago, and this is what, it, the title of this, this post says this, most adult US Christians don't believe the Holy Spirit is real. A new study from Arizona Christian University shows that of an estimated 176 million Americans, American adults, who identify as Christian, just 6% or 15 million of 176 million actually hold a biblical worldview. 
Where are you in the statistic? Conducted in February of last year, the survey included a national representation sample of 2,000 adults. So there were a few from, I'm sure, Chicago in that. Hope it wasn't you. The study shows that while a majority of American self-identified Christians believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and is the creator of the universe, more than half reject a number of biblical teachings and principles, including the existence of the Holy Spirit. They don't believe the Holy Spirit even exists. And as I said, if he was an optional extra for deluxe Christians, if he was a blessing from God, well, then you have the right to reject it. Don't need that blessing. That's great. But he's not a blessing from God. He's God. What will we do with God, the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, I don't believe that's saying wherever the Spirit is, there's freedom, because the Spirit is everywhere and freedom's not everywhere. The Spirit is right here, right now. And there's no freedom in this room. Why? Because it's not saying where the Spirit is, there's freedom, because He's everywhere. What it's saying is when you yield to the Spirit as Lord, that's where you find freedom. Okay? Got quiet. And I know you're quiet people, but now you're really quiet. So let's read Acts chapter 1 quickly. And I'm not here to convince you of anything. You realize that. I'm not here to cheerlead you. I'm simply here to present truth and tell you what will we do again. Not with what we've been taught, what God has to say about God, the Holy Spirit. And I realize that some of us have different understandings, different teaching. I'm not here. I've got a few minutes. I can't do it all. I'm begging you to take these truths and to go look at Scripture and see what does God really have to say about the Holy Spirit. And not what I was taught. And don't question those who taught you. Honestly, I think most people have good hearts. Most, not all, most. I don't believe those who've gone before have had bad hearts. I just think we've had a misunderstanding of truth. And very easy, when we're not comfortable with things, we just put them aside and we embrace the things we're comfortable with. But somewhere we've got to come back. And this morning is a moment for us just to come back again to what God has to say about the Holy Spirit. What will we do with God, the Holy Spirit? Just remember, the Bible is the only book whose author is always present when we read it. And so as we read it, God is here. God wants to speak. Acts chapter one and verse three, it says this. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself, speaking of Jesus, to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I love that Jesus went about showing people he was alive. You know, that is our role, friends. It's not just to tell people Jesus is alive. He wants us to show them he's alive. And you cannot do that without the Holy Spirit's empowering. It says, he, uh, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. That was his message. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, don't go anywhere, but wait for the gift my father promised, 
which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? (laughs) Oh, don't let me go there, let me move on. They missed what he was saying. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. Don't get caught up in that stuff. There's some things we're not to know. And I know we as Americans wanna know everything, but there's some things we're not to know. And you can spend the rest of your life trying to find out something you're not to know and miss the very thing we should be knowing about and the thing we should be focused on. And that's the mission God's given us. I'm not saying don't be inquisitive, but there's some stuff that he's saying, none of your business. <laughs> there's just some things that are none ya. And we're so busy wanting to know what is not. Just, he said, don't get caught up in that stuff. But you, verse eight, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. So, are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? It's not about time, you don't, those things are none of your business, but you must know this, you're gonna receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and note this, you will be witnesses, not you'll go do witnessing. I'm convinced that when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are, it's an identifying mark as a follower of Jesus. You don't do witnessing, you will be witnesses when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we tag witnessing on and mission on and it's the very nature of who we are. When we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will be witnesses. See that work, I know you know this, but I just wanna highlight that word power is a Greek word dunamis where we get our English word dynamite. And I know that freaks some people out when they hear that. And I know that we've misused that word too many times. But what he wasn't saying was you walk around blowing stuff up uh, spiritually. We're not to blow up anything. I mean that. There's some of us can, uh, sorry, Steve. Some of you are weird, stop being weird. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because the Spirit's not weird. And I want to run away from some of the weird stuff. Oh, I've got the power. I'm doing this. You blowing up. I'm serious. I want to run far from that. That is not representing Christ. I know Christians who want to run away from that, let alone sinners. And I'm not mocking you this morning. I'm begging you to understand. We're not called to blow stuff up spiritually. We've been given, that word has more to do with ability. And he said, I will give you you will receive ability, power, when the Holy Spirit comes. Ability, not dynamite to blow it up, but ability. And so I wanted to say, though Jesus had finished all his work and was ready to return to glory, he knew that these believers were not ready to go out in their, into the world in their own power and strength. Are you hearing that? There may be some of you say the spirit doesn't need the stuff, we don't need that anymore today. And I get your understanding and your teaching, but it's not biblically right. How many of you believe we need more flesh in the church? Hands up. I would suggest we need a lot less flesh and far more spirit if we're gonna be a lot more like Jesus Christ. So this, not, this notion that we don't need any more of the Spirit, we're all about, no, no, friends, we need more Spirit. And what Jesus was actually saying is, you can't do what I've called you to do just with authority. 
You've received authority, but you actually need ability called power. And I don't want you to do anything until you receive this because you can't do what I've called you to do without this. See, friends, they already had been given authority. And I love the authority in the name of Jesus. I love that we walk around in the name of Jesus. We, we have that, but authority without power is not enough. And I think most of us in this room, if we're honest, we agree, yes, there's authority. But I'm telling you, Jesus said authority is not enough. You need power, ability, authority and ability. And that's what we're talking about a little bit this morning, the ability. What do we do with this truth? They would literally need a type of power that would transform them so they could transform others. And it needed something way more than just authority. And there, there, there is a difference. This experience of the Holy Spirit was different from salvation. Again, can I tell you this this morning? If you're saved this morning, if you're a born again believer, you already have the Holy Spirit. He played a major role in your salvation. You already have him, so do what you want with him, but he's already with you. Can't be saved without it. But this is more to do with does the Holy Spirit have them, not do they have the Holy Spirit. And that's what this baptism of the Holy Spirit is. I know it's kind of weird and I don't know, but that's what he wants to give us more and more and do more and more in our lives so we can be more effective for him. In John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus had breathed on them earlier and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They already had received him, but this baptism is different from salvation. This is where they who already had the Holy Spirit now would let the Holy Spirit have them. So let's go to Acts chapter two quickly. And uh, here's, I believe, something of the birthing of the church. And also, I believe there's some identifying marks here of a spiritual church. And I don't have a lot of time, so I'm gonna give us just a few of things from what we see in Scripture of, of what a spiritual church should look like. What are some of the signs? I wonder if you would say we're a spiritual church. I don't know. Or I left a spiritual church to, spiritual church to come to this church because I didn't wanna be part of a spiritual church. I, I, or I don't know what you think. But what I wanna say is there's some elements and truths and identifying marks from Scripture that we should aim for rather than, we grew up in this, we know this. I think it's not enough what we grow up in. I mean, listen, I've been incredibly privileged. My, my parents were in ministry from the day I was born. I was born on the mission field. I was born in Africa, like not South Africa, real Africa, all right? Real Africa, Zimbabwe, all right? And, and, uh, and then I lived in South Africa and then I moved to Australia. And I mean, my dad was a mission, like a mission work, ministry all his life. But my dad was involved in, in some pretty, Great ministries, but legalistic denominations. And I'm not here to bag on any denominations. I'm just here to say some people get some things wrong. And if we were just willing to acknowledge truth, not people, truth, and contend for truth. And so he was part of a denomination that was pretty legalistic, and, and they were told to wear all the dog uh, gear. You know, the gear, the, the religious garb. I'm not mocking, they wore that stuff. He was called reverend. He had his black and white outfits and the back to front dog collars and all those. Not mocking, just that's what he was saved into. He was told that if you, uh, the Holy Spirit's kind of not relevant anymore and if you speak in tongues, you go to hell. Not just it's weird, you go to hell. That's what he was taught. And so he preached that all over. 
But you know what he dared do? Look at the word of God. And he dared to actually see what it says for itself. And he was reading the book of Acts, which is a pretty dangerous thing to do. And we do that this morning. That's why most seminaries like, eh, exclude book of Acts because it's not really uh, relevant. It's as relevant as any other book. In actual fact, it's the description of what happened, how the church was birthed, how we work in apostolic ministry, how we plant it. It's the outworking of the things we believe. And so he dared go against them and read it. And while he was reading the book of Acts, he was longing for what he saw in the Bible, not what he was seeing in the church he was leading. And while he was reading this and longing for this, God honored him because he was thirsty for what he saw. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to speak in tongues. No one laid hands on him. No one told him, say this after me, Suzuki and Honolulu and Yamaha and all the nonsense. I'm not mocking. We just got all these tricks to give someone a heavenly language that you cannot have if it's not from heaven. On his own, reading the Bible, longing, filled with the Spirit, and he spoke in tongues. Now he's in trouble. You understand, right? Big trouble. Not just this is weird. He's going to hell. This is fact. This is my, so he phones the moderator. He's like, can you please come and have a, I need to meet with you. So they come to see him, and they, they say, um, what's the problem? And he said, well, here's the deal. I, I was dead reading the Bible where you told us not to read. And I saw something I longed for. And while I was longing for what I saw, God gave it to me. And here's the problem. According to us, I'm going to hell. What do you mean? Well, I spoke in a heavenly language. What do I do? They looked and they said, okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you sign an agreement and you promise not to do that again. We'll pretend it never happened and you can carry on. That was the answer. I'm not judging their hearts, judging their understanding of truth. He said, excuse me, do you understand what's just happened? God did something, it's God, and I ain't turning this off. And by the way, why do they call me reverent? And by the way, why am I wearing this Batman and Robin outfit? I'm not mocking. Why? You see, friends, when the Holy Spirit reveals your lights go on, you can never be the same again. You can't play religion when the Spirit is alive in you. And so we got kicked out of denominations and kicked out of movement, and kicked out of everything and moved to another denomination. kicked out. Eventually my dad was like, I don't wanna start a revolution. I don't wanna start anything. I just want people to come back to the word of God. And then, by the way, if it's in there, let's do it. If it's not, run away from it. But let the spirit and the word be the guide for us as we go forward rather than the things we've been taught by good people with wrong theology and we're living in condemnation and God wants to liberate his people not to be weird but to be who he's called us to be friend there's no greater teacher than the Holy Spirit he wants to teach us this morning he wants to reveal to us who he is and he wants to show us he doesn't play the, take the place of Jesus he shines the glory on Jesus if you love Jesus you love the Spirit because his Spirit brings glory to Jesus
If we want people to see Christ is alive, we need power to demonstrate, to lay hands on the sick and watch them recover. Not the evangelists we fly in, all believers filled with power, touching people's lives and demonstrating that Jesus is alive and well, not because of a concept, but because of his power in us, with us, and through us. And I know that's challenging for some of us who've been taught different, but I'm asking again, what does God say about the church and about the Spirit and God the Holy Spirit? Let's go back to that. In Acts chapter two, verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated them and came to rest on each of them. All of them. Please say all of them. All. All. Note, every person in that room was empowered by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the leaders in the front. It wasn't the men. It wasn't the women. It was everyone. There is this concept, okay, I get the Holy Spirit stuff, but it's more for those who lead us. No, no, it's for every single one of us. All of them were filled. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. He told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. While they were worshiping together, the Holy Spirit comes. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I don't believe that the, the book of Acts is prescriptive at every level. And that's where we get in trouble. So there's some of us who say, okay, I'll do the spirit stuff as long as it's tongues of fire on my head. No, I'm not mocking. It's like, it's gotta be exactly how we saw it happen there in order for us to acknowledge it's God. And I understand your thinking, but you're wrong. And I'll tell you why you're wrong. Because it's immaturity to get caught up on the manifestation of how it has to be for God to actually be God in our lives. See, we have three sons, and it's the best uh, kind of illustration I have. And our youngest son, Jude, is now 15, and our oldest, 21, 19, and 15. We knew, I knew, contrary to what the prophets were saying, this was my last child. We're not having another one. Three is enough. I'm good. I'm happy. Thank you. Three sons. It's costing me a heck of a lot. I got it. Yeah, anyway, so I'm like, listen, this is our last child. So let's bless Jude. His, last, his birthday turned one. I'm like, this is our last child. Babe, let's bless him. Let's hook him up. Like, buy him a gift. And so we bought him this gift and we wrapped it up in wrapping paper. And he turned one and we're like, dude, happy birthday, dude. And he looked at this and he like was enamored and he began unpacking, but he loved the wrapping paper. I'm like, dude, we wasted so much money buying a gift. Just your baby's turning one. Buy them reams of wrapping paper. <laughs> That's all they want. That's all they need. They don't care about a gift. They just want the wrapping paper. So like year two, I'm like, hey, babe, maybe we should just downscale it, wrapped it up, gave it to him, and Jude came. This time he was all about what's in. He unwrapped it, and he wanted the gift. And I thought, oh, my boy, he's two. He's growing up. He's becoming a man. He's maturing. You hearing? Maturing is what's in, not what's out. So some of us perhaps in our desire to so be in the scripture and the way it had to happen there's the way it has to happen today, perhaps you're missing the very gift himself because you're so caught up in how it has to be for you to acknowledge. I don't believe that this is prescriptive, it's descriptive. 
It's revealing something. And yes, of course, he can come like tongues of fire in your head. Of Yes, he can come and he can speak in all these different ways. Those are many signs, many manifestations. As long as it's God, with all due respect, who cares? How do we know it's God? Well, can I suggest this is how we definitely know it's God? It's because Jesus has been honored in what's going down. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say how they would respond. He said, wait, you'll receive and you'll be empowered. And when the Holy Spirit came, they all began to declare the praises of God. Jesus didn't say you'll praise God when the Spirit comes. They just declared the praises of God in different languages. That was the response. Here's what we find in the church today is that we run after the person who's carrying something or we elevate the gift or the preacher or the song. That's the anointed song. We need that song for God to do something. We we got all these tricks and I'm not mocking. I'm just like, come on church, let's get back to who's getting the glory for what's happening. And if it's Jesus, then I wanna tell you, it's the Holy Spirit doing it. If it's a man getting glory, a preacher, uh, me, your gift, this church, the songs, the songwriters, the ministries that we all run after, I begin to question how much of the Holy Spirit's in that because here's the deal. The Holy Spirit will never bring glory to anyone other than Jesus. In actual fact, He won't even bring glory to Himself. He's not there to take the place. He's there to shine the glory. We will know if this is the Spirit, not by the manifestation, but by who's getting the glory. Very easy to determine. So don't be like the spiritual police in this church. We don't need more police. We need openness to respond. But look for who's getting the glory. And often it is the Holy, the, 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 the Holy Spirit giving glory to Jesus, but we very quickly wanna give glory to man. Don't mess up what God's doing. Let's find what God's doing and let's look to bring in glory to Jesus. Are you with me? And then in verse 14, just for time's sake, it says that Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in in Jerusalem, let me explain to you. We've got to get better at explaining in the church and out of the church. Let me explain to you and listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you think. In other words, there's something different about who they are. And the best these people could come up with is those dudes must be drunk. That's the world's way of seeing this, but they were different. What happened in the upper room impacted the upper room, but it also spilled out into the streets. And they said, these people must be drunk. And you know what's interesting? Peter didn't leave it at that. and said, ah, it doesn't matter what they think. It matters what they think. He stood up and said, let me explain carefully to you, friends, what has happened here. And let me explain, listen carefully. This is what happened. And then he began to prophesy and speak of, this was prophesied by Joel, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, God says, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will dream dreams and and old men will have a young vision and dreams and it's all there. (laughs) Read it. But he backed it with a prophetic word that was spoken of. So what's happening we can explain is in the Bible. I think we've got to get better as the church, with the church, we've been taught this is wrong. So when something happens, we just go, I don't know, let's pretend it didn't happen, or I'm so uncomfortable. No, no, let's get up and explain. Okay, guys, we're not comfortable with this, but the Bible says, then we can all say, okay, if it's the Bible, we can do this. 
If we could get that in this church culture, can you imagine how we can explain it to the world out there who thinks we're drunk because of some of this stuff? We can say, no, no, this is what God said. And, it, and you, if you realize what happens, he says he'll do this, he'll pour out his spirit. And it says, and all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, the outpouring, the effectiveness is not so we can walk around feeling good and feeling the comforter with us, having great meetings. Ultimate is always for the harvest. Do you see that? Many people are like, yeah, we want the Spirit for us. No, no, He's us, in us, with us, through us, but to go about proving and convincing. So when the Spirit was poured out, it's all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what does a spiritful church look like? In the few moments I have left, well, can I just give us a few? Number one, it's not ours, it's His. It has His presence. Now, I know, like, like I've separated presence and power because I used to preach them together and everyone focuses on power. No, no, we need to come back to presence first. It's different. His presence, not presence. Do you know that every church has a presence, but is it His? We're really good at atmospheres, let's be honest. And we're really good at, and I'm not anti those things, but we can have like smoke machine, nothing wrong, and we can have dark and light and light. And I love all that. But many people get it Something happens in their heart with that, and then they go away saying, gee, that was awesome, the Holy Spirit. It wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was an atmosphere, which is okay, but it's, when shaking comes, that atmosphere is not gonna hold you. What will hold you is the Spirit, God in us. And so we don't wanna replace the, His presence with an atmosphere in the church. We can have atmospheres, but not at the place of Him with us. And so his presence is essential. And you don't have to come here to have his presence. We get to have his presence wherever we go. But surely our gatherings should be about trusting for his manifested presence in our midst. You see, all of us would agree, yeah, God's omnipresent, because the Bible talks about being God everywhere. You can't escape him. Uh, if I go up to the highest mountain, is there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. You're everywhere. And most of us are like, yes, he's omnipresence and omnipresent, I'm comfortable with that. But he's not only omnipresent, his manifested presence is in scripture. So it's easy to say God's everywhere, we have to do nothing with that, but when God is here, then we have to face it. And in scripture, those truths are not intention, but it seems the manifested presence is far more in God's heart when it's connecting to us as people. Jesus, God in the Garden of Eden was manifest. The, 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 uh, um, the, the uh, temple, God's presence. Incarnation, when Jesus came, Jesus is here, God is here. And the book of Revelation talks about he, Jesus is coming back. So, so I wanna suggest to you that God is about manifest presence, not just omnipresence. So I wanna ask you, what will we do with God is here? Do we even expect God is here? Or do we kind of come, and I'm just stating some real truths about the church today. It's very hard. Someone said the crisis in the church today is not that people are not willing to declare their undying love for God. It's because there's no expectation of God actually being with his people. And it's not up to the leaders. It's up to all of us to come ready to say, God is here. God is with us. God wants to reveal his presence. You know, go read Exodus 33. God calls Moses to go and do all the, and God, Moses said this, if your presence is not going with me, I'm not going. It's your presence that distinguishes us as your people 
and it's your presence that distinguishes us from all other people. Anthem Church should not have to put on their signs and on their window and the, or on their website, God, God is with us. People should be able to walk in and say, God is with us. You should come here, God with us. And I do believe, friends, this is just, the church is designed for the presence of God. But the church is so often distracted from him because we've caught up in all this stuff. And I wanna suggest this season, God wants to literally manifest his presence. Chicago needs the manifested presence of God, not the omnipresence, but the manifest presence. Am I making sense? Friends, it's something that lacks and we need to see more and God wants to pour out his spirit. God wants to reveal himself so much more, I believe, than what we're seeing right now. And it's his desire to do that. And you know, I, I, I grew up in Australia and if you've ever been to Australia, it's an interesting place for many reasons. And uh, every uh, major city in Australia is on the coast. That's how it kind of works. And then you've got this open space called the, the outback in the middle and it's literally nothing's there. But if you go and you look at the, um, you know, the cattle farmers in Australia, they live out in these endless miles of open space, but they have very few fences. And if you're going to ask an Australian cattle farmer, how is it that you've got miles empty, open space of miles and miles, but very few fences? Why do you do that? They'll tell you their job is not to put up fences to keep the cattle in. Their job is to dig for fresh water. Because wherever there is fresh water, they know the animals will come and drink. I think that's a picture of the church today that we are not putting fences up to keep people in or keep them out. We should be simply digging for fresh water. And we're not in competition with anyone else. I understand that. But people will drive past hundreds of gatherings on a Sunday to go to a gathering where there is life, not pretense, not hope, not atmosphere. The life, the presence of God is here and when we get together, there's this encouragement, there's this encountering, and we go from here and we can impact and change the nation around. I dream of that church, and I believe that can be this church, not by tricks, by simply pursuing His presence. God's not looking for the art of worship. He's looking for the hearts in worship. You guys have an incredible gifted team in this church. It's an incredible, one of the most gifted churches in, I believe we have in the, in the world but it's not gonna be the gifts of people. If God's not looking, it's gonna be the heart of worshipers who will come and say, we are here to engage God, encounter God, and carry his presence wherever we go. That's a spirit-filled church. Quickly, number two, I have to land. His power, no, not power, his power. His presence is a sign of a spirit-filled church. Secondly, his power, his power. The early church, can I just tell you, lacked big, bug, big budgets. They didn't have money. I have so many pastors tell me today, if only we had the money of the early church. I'm like, have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> Silver and gold we don't have. Either they lied or they didn't have it. Some have said, well, if only we had the backing of their government. I mean, the backing of the government like they had. If we just had a Christian president, if we just had a Christian governor, then we could really do something. Well, now that might help, but 
Just the early church didn't have that. They were locked up for the thing I'm doing right now. They were in prison for speaking the truth out there. They had no backing from their government. Well, if only we had more people who had seminary degrees and really theologians, we need more of them. Maybe, but they didn't have that. Unschooled ordinary men. So what did they have that we have today? Power. That's what they had. They had power. We have power. And can I just say this, friend? The worst thing we can do with power, are you ready? Pretend we haven't got it. Not comfortable, don't understand it, so pfft, we don't have it. No, you have power. What will we do with power? Some of us have said, well, you know, the strange stuff, and I understand it. I know there's some weird stuff. But here's what I want to say. There's more biblical backing, friends, biblical, for strange fire than no fire. Yet we're more comfortable with no fire. And you can't find a biblical backing in the New Testament with no fire. I'm not saying let's be weird. I'm saying let's embrace the power that is given us. A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we're doing would carry on and no one would know the difference. But he went on and said, but if the, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the early church, 95% of what the church was doing would stop and everyone would know the difference. Power for witnessing, friends. Can't witness without power. Power for signs and wonders. It's in the Bible. If it's in the Bible, we can have it today. For prophecy, power for deliverance, power for healing. This city is a great city. I've said this and I get in trouble. It's my favorite city in the whole of America. And everyone gets mad at me except for you. <laughs> it is. I love this city. It's my favorite city. But I want to tell you, having been back in this city, it's pretty messed up. Still my favorite, but it's got some messed up people. They need healing. Physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. Maybe some of you here this morning who need spiritual healing. You've been abused and hurt by the church. You've, even the stuff I'm preaching, you've been hurt by, by abuse. And it exists, unfortunately. But God can heal you today. God wants to heal these people out there. God wants you to bring healing. And it's the spirit in us, the power in us that will bring healing to these people. Transforming power. Power to transform cities and regions and nations. That's the power we've been given. Not called to survive our culture. We've been given the Holy Spirit to transform our culture. Motivational power. You know, people will leave their buildings and air-conditioned houses and go across the world to crisis countries that are in absolute crisis. It's the Spirit who will motivate us. Not some evangelists getting up here and telling us how bad we are and how we should not neglect our parish. We would simply be motivated by the Spirit to go to places and to go reach people because that's what the Spirit does. I wanna be led by the Spirit. I wanna be empowered by the Spirit. I wanna be motivated by the Spirit, not condemned by some man beating me over the head with his flesh. But when the Spirit's in us, I'm telling you, friends, we're gonna go to where He wants us to go and do what He's called us to do. Thirdly, quickly, I've just got to throw a couple more and then I'm finished. His purity. No one likes to talk about this, but we need to. A sign of a spiritual church is His presence, His power, also His purity. We love the manifestation and give me the power and let me lay. But what about purity, friends? The Holy Spirit has a major role in bringing purity into our lives. The Holy Spirit cannot save the world with a worldly church. Charismata without character is not the work of the Spirit of God. 
God's Spirit works on both. It's a major emphasis of character transformation. Paul alludes to this when he speaks to them and he challenges the church in Corinth. These guys had signs and wonders and miracles. They had manifestation, but they had bad character. And they wouldn't deal with their character and it's the very thing that took that church out from its inheritance. And so there's many churches that we are spirit-filled. We have power, we have presence, but there's no purity in the church. You're not gonna do that with the Holy Spirit. He brings purity. It's interesting how he's referred to as fire. Fire is a purifying element. I mean, if you, let me just speak straight to us this morning. We in this room struggle with sin, and don't say you don't. We're not allowed to talk about it, but we ought to talk about it. And if you're struggling with sin, I'm gonna just tell you this. You cannot deal with that sin in your flesh. Good flesh is still flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You're not called to overcome it in your flesh. You're not called to just claim a scripture and hope it gets there. There's called the Holy Spirit. If you yield, He can and will bring victory in your life to overcome. He will bring purity in your life. That's His role. You need to come back to yielding to that role He plays. Don't try in your own strength. Don't beat yourself up. Don't get some of Him to come and just yield. Let the burning, the purifying, we need purity, friends. And the Holy Spirit plays a major role in bringing purity. Number four, his persuading, convincing. It's a word lacking in the church today, conviction. There's so few people carry conviction today. But you know what the Holy Spirit does? He convicts us. He convinces us. He persuades us. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16, and he said that the Spirit will take the things I have shown you and make them known to you. You know, when, when the Spirit makes things known, you're convinced. When you hear a preacher convincing you every week, you're not convinced. And I want to tell you, a major role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us and convince us and persuade us that's what he does in the church that he's spiritful to. You're convinced, regardless of what comes our way, regardless of what's thrown our way, we're convinced of the truth. Jesus actually said, it's better that I go. So that when I go, the one who can come alongside you and show you and reveal to you the things I've said to you. We have that Holy Spirit today. Number five, his peace. His peace, not peace, his peace. Man, friends, there is no doubt war breaking out and the Bible's very clear about war. And all, but there's also this onslaught against one another. And you know why? I think it's because we haven't acknowledged the role of the Holy Spirit as he is the one who brings peace. Peace with God. Peace with each other. Peace with the world. We, 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 we're not believing what the world believes, but we're not called to fight the world. We're called to live at peace. And there's one who can do that for us is the Holy Spirit. So when these churches are beating each other up and social media, we're taking each other out. I mean, it's just real. I'm like, there's a lack of presence and power and the Holy Spirit. They were together in one accord and that's when the Holy Spirit came. Right through scripture, God wants his people to be at peace. And I'm telling you, friends, the Holy Spirit plays a major role in bringing peace to our lives. You can't have peace with others if you haven't got peace with God. He brings peace to our lives. And the last one I wanna throw out is his passion. His passion. I know that you guys are very passionate people and Americans are incredibly passionate people, especially if the Bears ever win, and I don't think that happened for a while, but 
sorry, I had to throw that in there, Steve. But uh, Russell Wilson, did you hear that? He's coming to us. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I just got distracted. But passion. I think a lot of passionate people, but when we have his passion, it shifts everything. When you and I are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when, when we understand, Ephesians chapter five says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but rather be filled with the Spirit. It's abnormal for us who are believers not to have a heart for the supernatural. And if we were forbidding, as someone said, if we forbidden the, 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 the wine of the Spirit, then we are turning to the wine of the flesh. We've been given this incredible opportunity to catch the heart, to embrace, to drink. Baptism of the Holy Spirit will make Jesus increasingly real and alive to you. John 15, he'll release power and boldness to witness. He'll bring revelation. He'll open up the Bible and make it real to you. He'll make our prayers effective. Romans 8, 26 He'll lead us to make right decisions. Romans 8, 14. He'll set us free in praise and worship. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. He'll release a new prayer and praise language. Acts 10, 46. He'll fill you with God's love and joy. He'll equip you with supernatural gifts to get the job done. A spiritful church is a church with passion for kingdom advancement. Let's close our eyes together. You know, in John chapter seven, just keep your eyes closed if you can. I wanna just pray quickly for us. In John seven, Jesus says this, on the last and the greatest day, the Bible says of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Spirit has said, streams of living water will flow from within. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Because up to that time, the Spirit had not given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Three things we're told to do. Thirst. Thirst come to Jesus and ask and thirdly come drink and I know that we are finished and the time's up but I want to say this I would love the opportunity to pray for anyone this morning who's either never been baptized in the Holy Spirit or other people perhaps you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit you need a refilling infilling it's scripturally friends it's not a one off it's a continue. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Lay hands on you and just pray over you. If you've never spoken in tongues, and I know that's a whole different thing, but you have the privilege this morning of speaking in tongues, any one of you, if you're a born again believer. Tongues is not something you have to do. It's not a sign of your salvation. You're saved by simply believing in the finished work of the cross. That's salvation. It's not the only sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit, but it is a sign and it's a gift, a privilege that every believer gets to speak in tongues. It's for edifying and building yourself up. And I know there is a gift of tongues that is for edifying and building others up. And that's what we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. 
where if we have a tongue, then someone needs to trans- interpret that to build others up. But there's this different, we get to speak the grace of tongues. Every one of us have that to build ourselves up. And I would love to pray for anyone in this room this morning who wants to speak in this heavenly language. Because I do believe God gives it to everyone. I keep using this silly illustration. These shoes that I wear, when I bought these shoes, I got the tongue with my shoes. I didn't ask them, please, would you cut the tongue out? I don't want the tongue. Tongues come with your shoes. In actual fact, they make your shoes fit. I do believe when you're saved, salvation, part of the gift of salvation, tongues comes with it. I wanna just say to you this morning, I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you to activate that. So can we just close our eyes? Maybe Steve, I'll hand back the meeting to you, but I'm gonna ask you to be bold this morning. If you need to come out, you wanna come out, just come out. I know it's easier to get everyone to stand and all close our eyes, but just, if you would like to be prayed for, if that's okay, Steve, and then our hand, you can land. I just can't speak about the Holy Spirit and then leave. We've gotta give room for Him. And it's not something to carry on and to extend. Just a moment. If you say, gee, Tyron, I need a refilling, infilling, or actually, I've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Come out here, friend. And uh, we're just gonna quickly pray pray for you and turn the meeting back to Steve. But just come out if you would like refilling, infilling, or never spoken in tongues. Come, now's your moment. I'd love to pray for you. I'll be waiting up here with some people. Thanks.